silent mode. Our church is, uh, every time you get a testimony, consider that as a gift from God. Amen? We're trying to accomplish our mission to know Christ, which was last week's testimony where our sister Deborah shared that she took on the journey of knowing God even more in taking and reading the Bible every day and finishing it after one full year. Today, we heard people doing the to let him known, to let him known part. Praise God. Um, so if I tap your shoulder or send you a text and say, hey, give a testimony, because you're filling in one of those aspects of our mission. And it's just right. It's just right that you give God the glory. Amen? Please turn your Bibles over to the book of James. We're trying to finish the book of James. We're still in our series, our mini-series, uh, New Year series, because it's still the New Year. I'm glad you guys made it today. It helps that the snow is not on the ground, right? If you thought the last teachings and the preachings, the sermons of James were pretty personal, you're going to... You got something else coming. It's going to get more serious today or personal today. But it's, the, the, the truth of the matter is we cannot make the Bible say something that it did not say. Amen? You agree? And we cannot also make the Bible not say what it didn't say. That's the big problem these days. We're trying to make the Bible say what we want it to say. We want it to be westernized. We want it to be our Bible, not God's Bible. All right, without further ado, James 5, 1 to 6. I'm reading from the easy-to-read version. You rich people, listen. Cry and be very sad because much trouble will come to you. Your riches will rot and be worth nothing. Your clothes will be eaten by moths. Your gold and silver will rust, and that rust will be a proof that you were wrong. That rust will eat your bodies like fire. You saved your treasure in the last days. People worked in your fields, but you did not pay them. They are crying out against you. They harvested your crops. Now the Lord, all-powerful, has heard their cries. Verse 5. Your life on earth was full of rich living. You pleased yourselves with everything you wanted. You made yourselves fat, like an animal ready to be ready for the day of slaughter. You showed no mercy to good people. They were not against you. Well, you killed them. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. You are sovereign. Thank you for keeping us safe. Thank you for clearing the roads, Lord God, of ice and snow. We thank you for all your blessings to our lives. We thank you for the past year, that full of blessing, 
may be challenged, but still, you have blessed us. We thank you for the freedom to hear your word, to praise you with our lips, to be in this building, Lord God, without fearing for our lives. We thank you, Father, for this day. We ask for forgiveness for our sins. Let nothing, Lord God, about us and our sins against you hinder us from hearing your message for us. Forgive us, Lord God. Forgive me, for my sins are many. And let your message be heard, and let your message be accepted. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Book of James series, Radical Change. We have been in this book since July, I think. We are slowly making our way to understand everything that God wants us to understand through the book of James. And the book of James, the Radical Change series, is, is a change from within. Calling yourself a Christian is not enough if you are not practicing your faith. You are not trying to be saved by exercising everything that God has commanded in the Bible, but you are merely glorifying Him if you are obeying Him. And you are actually, the opposite is true, you are actually not glorifying Him when you are disobeying. We have heard many messages, right? And then tonight I entitled our message, Follow the Money. Follow the Money. <laughs> have you heard this? I, I, I guess because I was trying to Google what the clever title would be. But I, apparently this Follow the Money is a show. But I know that, that this is a clever way to say investigate financial transactions and use them to extract information or evidence about a crime, a suspect, or criminal network. If you want to find out who killed the wife, you have to follow the money or the husband. If there was a large life insurance that was bought the day before the poisoning, <laughs> if you follow the money, it could possibly be the benefactor of that insurance. And the Bible tells us, your heart will be where your treasure is. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Okay, uh, whose phone is that? I, I work alone. <laughs> I don't need, I don't need that, that guy's help. <laughs> Internal change, right? Who, you follow the money, you will find out who's guilty and you will find out where it's coming from, and you know the plot. It's usually because of the money. Crimes usually happen because of money. Do we agree? Maybe. Couple, one guy, Sam. I have a question. Who is rich? Who is rich? I had to Google it. Who is the richest guy in the world right now? And most of you guys probably know it. It's Elon Musk. Imagine Elon Musk. His net worth, $251.3 billion with the B. $251.3 billion. Now, my mind doesn't work properly with numbers. It doesn't. I have to have a different way to think how rich or how much money is, is 251.3. How rich 
is Elon Musk. So I came with another question. How long will $200 billion last if I spend a million dollars a day? <laughs> Do you, can you understand spending a million dollars a day? Can you imagine it? How many years will it last? How long will it last? 547.94 years. The average lifespan is 73 for men. 70 for people who are married. I'm kidding. <laughs> 547, almost 548 years. This is not calculating the amount of interest the money will make on a compounding interest on a daily basis. It will never run out. It'll never run out. Jeff Bezos, um, if you divide his money, his worth is $147 billion. Poor guy, because he got divorced, so you know, he lost about $25 billion. I feel sorry for him. You know? How many years now for him, $147 billion, how many years will that last? That's 2,000 years. If you were, sorry, if you were to spend a dollar per second, if you were to spend a dollar per second, it will last 2,000 years. Again, not considering the interest that it builds. Now, you need to pause and reflect how much money these people have. I'm not saying none of you will ever get there. Maybe some of you will. Don't forget me. <laughs> Now, the next question is, well, the message is going to be about, because you heard it, right? It's about rich people. That's not me. That's not me. It's about those evil rich people. So it's not me. Will you consider yourself rich if you were in the 1% or 5% or 10% or the bottom or 50% of the world population economy-wise? Now, there is a tool that exists to shine the light on where your finances rank. It's called the Global Rich List. Now, it's a website. It's aimed to educate people where they rank in the world financially. So, I did the work for you. Here you go. Now, would you consider yourself rich if you are living in the top 50% of the world's population? If you think that top percent is rich, you might be surprised. Even if you think living in the top percent is rich, you might be surprised to find out just how close you are to reaching your ideal. Now, here we go. If you made a minimum wage of $7.25 an hour or $15,080 a year, you would already be in the top 10% of, of the global income. So if that's you, you are rich, the 10% in the world scale. In, there you go. In fact, you being the top 7.8% of income earners worldwide. If you make 50000 per year, you would be in the top 0.31% of the world's population in terms of earning income. Earning just 50000 per year puts us in the top 1% of the world's population. Now, does that make you wonder all the hate about the 1%? Because 
most of the time when we hear rich people, we love to hate on them. Like, oh, they're so greedy. They're so evil. But, you know, we're not the 1% in the United States, but if we make 50000 per year, you're in the 1% of the world. Now, how about net worth? Some of you will say, well, that's not me, that's not me. Net worth. How about net worth? Rich list based on wealth, um, based on a net worth of just $1,000. And this includes all your shoes, okay? All the things that you have, you would be in the top 69% in the world's wealthiest, of the world's wealthiest people. So are you rich? Nobody's saying yes, because they're like, I don't know, I don't want to say amen, because what's coming? Now, that's not quite as dramatic as with the income of side of things, right? But it would be easy to only have a net worth of $1,000 based on Americans' awful consumer habits. Because some of us, we probably spent $1,000 on our cell phones, which was produced with, that only cost Apple $10 to make. Now, what about $10,000? That would put you up to the 32%. If you have $10,000 of, of stuff, that would put you in the top 32. 100000 would put you in the top 9%. And then 250000 in net worth would put you in the top 5%. It would take a net worth of 770000 to break into the top 1% of the world's wealthiest people. What's the point? We got to put it in perspective. 1% of your wealth could feed a family of four in Ethiopia for a year. It takes 56 average people combined in Bangladesh to match your wealth. And you could buy over 18,000 mosquito nets that last for four to five years to protect children from malaria in Malawi, East Africa. Amazing, isn't it? This new year, you need to consider how rich you are in the world's perspective. You probably are not thanking God for the blessing of all, of all your blessings uh, financially because you're comparing yourself to Elon Musk. <laughs> Bad idea. We often think that when we hear evil rich, we think of the billionaires quickly. We think about the millionaires right away. We have to see how rich we are Living in this country, we have to see that we are rich ourselves so that we can remove that mental block. Oh, this message is not for me. Is money the root of all evil? No. If you know your scriptures, the answer is no. It's not. Money isn't the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all evil. That's in 1 Timothy 6.10. I always hear that, and you probably do too, and it's misquoted, unfortunately, by Christians themselves. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Why is money not the root of all evil? Because wealth is from God. Wealth is from God. This is Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18. Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. 
And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Again, I cannot make the Bible not say what it's saying. Wealth is from God. This is why I struggle with this message. Because a lot of us, when we think of money, and then I speak, or a preacher speaks of money, we automatically lean into the prosperity preaching. Right? And this is not prosperity preaching. But at the same time, if you're studying your Bible correctly, there are many accounts in the Bible that proves this truth, this doctrine. And there is no single doctrine by one verse. The Bible is the one, by, the one true book to prove itself. This is why when I'm preaching or when somebody else is preaching here, we give you multiple verses about one same doctrine. So here's some proofs. Here's some rich people or wealthy people in the Old Testament as recorded in the Bible. Abraham, if you review in Genesis 13 too, Isaac, his son, Genesis 26, 12. Jacob, the other, the son of Isaac, Genesis 30, 43. Joseph, the son of Jacob. He became second to the, prime, uh, the Pharaoh. David, in 2 Samuel 7, 9. Solomon, the son of David. And Job. Oh, that's Old Testament, Pastor. Because as a Christian, we must suffer for God. That's true. We, we have to suffer for God because obedience, many times obeying God, like uh, our brother, our sisters and our brother leaving for Christmas time to obey God, that's, that's uh, suffering because they were away from their, their family, not celebrating the holidays, doing God's work. Was well, the Old Testament? No, there's a New Testament too. There's Joseph called Barnabas in Acts 4, 36 or 37, Dorcas in Acts 9, Cornelius, Acts 10, Sergius, Paulus, Lydia, Jason, Aquila, and Priscilla, Manson of Cyprus, and Philemon. So, God has no problem with his people having money. Amen? In fact, riches, we've seen it. In fact, riches come from God. Here's another verse. All riches and wealth come from you. David speaking. You rule everything by your strength and power, and you are able to make anyone great and strong. We'll, come, we'll go back to him later. Proverbs 10.22, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. What is the Bible saying? The Bible is saying that God, wealth is from God, and God would love to give us wealth if it doesn't become our idol. If it isn't already our idol. So mind you, you don't have to be rich and wealthy to be greedy. Some of us, we are greedy and we remain poor. Our idols are money, but we, we remain poor. But God has no problem with his people becoming wealthy. And you're, gonna, you're sitting there thinking, well, no, I prayed for that lottery to come to me. I wanted that $7 million. I wanted that. But God didn't give it to me. So no, you're wrong, pastor. You know what? 
Because the moment God gave you that $7 million, you will not see yourself at church. The moment that you get the money, you will not spend time in prayer with God because with your current situation, you are no longer depending on Him and you are already proud. You're already telling yourself, I'm me because of what I have done. That's probably why. First point, following the money makes us miss eternity. Come now, you rich. This is verses 1 to 3, remember? James is speaking to, actually, he's speaking to non-believers. However, the letter is for the believers. So the letter is for the the believers, speaking about non-believers. Is that clear? So when you're reading this, you have to... Really identify, studying the Bible means you have to understand the context. Who is he or the author speaking to? What is the context because of this verse? What was said behind that? What was the environment? What's the background? He was speaking to non-believers here and addresses the abundance of money. There's, he's addressing the abundance of money that makes prideful and makes them think that this is... that. Life, that this life is all there is. James was scorning the evil rich, rich people during their time. James's readers who were mostly poor and oppressed may have been thinking, why be righteous if all, if all it gets you is oppression? Have you thought about that? Why me, who's a Christian, a Bible-believing Christian, the guy who serves Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, why am I not being successful in this world? Well, I know this evil guy that could care less about God being financially strong and everything that he needs is there. His car never breaks down. His children are so good. His marriage seems to be pristine. Their house seems to be all manicured. Why me, who serves God, am I not enjoying life the way this evil guy is? Have you all, have you thought of that? Maybe this will help, right? Maybe this will help. Jesus used this story. There was a rich man who had some land. His land grew a very good crop of food. He thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to keep my crops. Then he said, I know what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger barns. I'll put all my wheat and good things together in my new barns. Then I can say to myself, I have many good things stored. I have saved enough for many years. Rest, eat, drink, and enjoy life. But God said, To that man, foolish man, tonight you will die. So what about the things you prepared for yourself? Who will get those things now? This is how it will be for anyone who saves things only for himself. To God, that person is not rich. For what is it for man to gain the whole world that forfeits his soul? Following money instead of following God makes us think that this life is it. And we miss eternity. That's why they don't need Jesus. Have you tried sharing the gospel to a very wealthy person? 
Second point, following the money is temporary. You have lived on earth in luxury, James, right? And self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. Following the money instead of God gives temporary comfort because this life is temporary. It gives temporary ease. But then then what? But a long-term misery. Let's say you become a millionaire at 40, and then you enjoy it and not live for God until you turn 80 and then die. What is 40 years versus eternity? 40 years is this, this much. Eternity is eternity, ongoing. It will keep going. The ungodly rich mistakenly think that they are relieving themselves and their families from hardships through their wealth and possessions. But James says that they are storing up misery and hardship for the final judgment. The very thing that they trust in for comfort now will result in their final ruin. The Bible commands us to provide the necessities of life for our families and friends and, and uh, families and ourselves. Amen. Right here, this is the proof. 1 Timothy 5.8 Everyone should take care of all their own people. Most important, they should take care of their own family. If they do not do that, they do not accept what we believe. They are worse than someone who does not even believe in God. This is why making money, working, making money, providing for yourself and for your loved ones is very biblical. Laziness isn't biblical. Laziness might, be, might seem the opposite of somebody who wants to make money, but you are also still disobeying God. There is nothing wrong with living comfortably. We can do much more to serve the Lord when life is not a constant struggle. Do we agree? Modern labor-saving conveniences such as washing machines, I, I love those, lawnmowers, snow remover, and mo- automobiles, Um, they help up to free time, to free up time for us, for our family. Imagine if we were still riding horses and then coming to church on a snow day. Boy, that's when you will be really late. (laughs) Right? These things become a problem when they begin to control us. The things that makes us comfortable become a problem when they begin to control us, when they begin to consume us. A computer is a useful tool, but it can also become a controlling master, which is now your cell phone, right? Many Christians waste many hours on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or their phone, neglecting time with God, neglecting time with their families, and more importantly, neglecting time in serving God. James is warning us that it is possible to enjoy the comforts of life without God, but if we fall into that, those comforts become a snare. The bread of this country has become our snare. It became our trap. Because we're so comfortable, we have neglected God. We have let go of God. How many times do you get in trouble when you're broke? Not too often, right? Because you can't go anywhere. (laughs) You can't go buy yourself beer. You can't go party with your friends. Well, maybe, I don't know. 
But when you have money, that's when all the more a sinful person, a sinful heart, get in deep trouble. I see more divorces, divorces happen when the couple is financially strong. But when they were financially struggling, they were at peace. They were together. But when they finally were both rich, now they told each other, I don't need you. And the guy goes, yeah, me too. Let's split that million dollars and split apart. Third point, following money has, only has a short shelf life. I remember when I had a store, there was a shelf life on all those things. Best before, right? Best before. To be rich without God provides short-term advantages, but long-term losses. With wealth comes power. Do we agree? When you have money, you have power. But as someone said, power corrupts. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Throughout history, corrupt dictators have amassed amazing power and wealth for themselves and their families. We as Filipinos who grew up in the Philippines, we know this too well, right? We know it too well. We know of that counselor that campaigned, you know, as a buddy of ours, that he would take the jeepney with you, but right after he got elected, then he get then all of a sudden, after three months, he has four vehicles, a nice condominium, and then another condominium for his girlfriend and his wife. Plenty in the Philippines that we know about it. We also have the likes of Saddam Hussein, remember? The late Saddam Hussein and his sons. They were brought down and faced judgment. And then... And then um, Joseph Stalin, Stalin. They seem to get away with their many atrocities in this life, but nobody escapes from God's judgment. Amen? Like barn animals, they are only fattening their hearts for the day of slaughter. The day of slaughter is the coming, the second coming of God. If we if a person does not die before the second coming of Christ, they will be judged. And then on the second coming of God, they will also, again, still be judged. I mentioned it earlier. Don't you wonder, right, sometimes when you're thinking, like, wow, this, this, this Soros guy, you know, all the evil things that he's doing, but he's so rich. Why is he getting away with all these things? You know, if you thought about that, it's, it's just like in, in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. It's Asap who wrote Psalm 73, and he said, he shared the same sentiments, if you have wondered that. He said here, but I almost slipped and lost my balance. I almost fell into sin. I saw the wicked people were successful, and I became jealous of those proud people. They are healthy. They don't have to struggle to survive. They don't suffer like the rest of us. They don't have troubles like other people, so they are proud and hateful. This is as easy to see as the jewels Jewels and fancy clothes they wear. If they see something they like, they go and take it. They do whatever they want. They make fun of others and say cruel things about them. In their pride, they make plans to hurt people. 
and they think they are gods. They think they are the rulers of the earth. Even God's people turn to them and do what they say. Those evil people say, God does not know what we are doing. God Most High does not know. They couldn't be they couldn't be wronger. I know that's not a word. But they can't be more wrong than they are. Because ultimately, God knows everything. Amen? They might get away with it in this life, but ultimately, God will judge every evil, evil thing. Every evil thing. Because it's a lie. Here, verse 17 to 18. But then, God, I went to your temple, and I understood what will happen to the wicked. Clearly, you have put them in danger. You make it easy for them to fall and be destroyed. I don't know about you, but I've met people who said that they received Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they finally saw the need for Christ at the lowest point of their life. When all their strength has been removed, when all their health and wealth has been taken then they received and recognized the lordship of Jesus. If that were you, you were given an eternal gift. A gift that is far more superior than anything that you can receive and get and obtain in this life. Now again, although James does not direct any exhortations to his readers because the, the, again, the 1 to 6, verses 1 to 6, is he was speaking to the unbelieving rich people. But he was using that. He was using that still as an application for the followers of Christ, just like us now, to be reminded to not do what the evil rich people were doing before and are doing now. Fourth point. Following the money abuses others. Instead of following God, we follow the money and we end up abusing others. Now, the background of this is the rich people during James's time were exploiting the believers. And people back then, maybe some of us, it's the same now, right? <clears throat> they would work for the day. And they expect to be paid the end of the day. And with that money that they get or that they are paid with is what they will use to buy food for their family. But there were, uh, there were the evil rich people that will not pay the poor people. Because they would come up with the excuse where, well, shoot, man, you, I told you to be done by 3 o'clock. It's 6 o'clock now. Oh, wow, I told you to move it in this manner, but you kind of just, it's ugly. I don't like the work. And then since because the rich people, just like now, rich people have more influence, have more connections, right? The poor people have no power, no power to fight for themselves. That's why when you're following the money, you could easily, you could easily be abusing others. 
Verse 4, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears. Doesn't this remind you of the Israelites? When the Israelites were, were, were crying out to Jesus, to God, because the Egyptians were, were oppressing them? We should be careful. In Leviticus 19.13, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. James was denouncing wealthy landowners that were cheating their laborers out of their hard-earned wages, whether they were not paying them the full amount promised or cheating them on the pretext that that they had not fulfilled their quotas or whatever. We don't know. But it was a common, it was common enough problem to be mentioned several times because it also happened in Leviticus 19.13. Now, most of us are not in the position of paying wages to workers, right? Most of us. If we are, we should be generous and fair. But if we're not, the principle still applies. That it is always wrong to cheat others for our own financial gain. Amen? losing my, myself in this place here. Since misuse of wealth will bring a person into horrible judgment that will make him weep and howl in misery, verse 1, we should make sure that we do not profess to know God. Make sure that we do not profess to know God, but by our ungodly use of wealth, deny Him. That's in, first, that's in Tim, Titus for verse, chapter 1, Verse 16, although there are far more dangers than James's list here, there are four ungodly uses of wealth in, in verses 1 to 6, uh, verses 2 to 6. There's hoarding, cheating people of money, living in luxury while disregarding the needs of others, and hurting innocent people for the sake of gain. These seem to move in progression from least to worst. Yielding to what may seem like a small sin always exposes us to worse sins. In the early stages, some sins seem horrific and impossible for us to commit. But if if we yielded to the seemingly harmless sins, when we have justified it or watered it down, pretty soon we find ourselves excusing what formerly seemed impossible for us to commit. It's called the snowball effect too. Our hearts become numb and our spirits become dull and the voice of the Holy Spirit we can no longer hear. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And God provides our need, amen? God does not provide our greed. So I'm not targeting anybody because the next point will be hoarding, right? But abusing others because of money. 1 Kings 21, 1 to 28 is a story about, about King Ahab. King Ahab was the king of all, but he was so greedy, he wanted the vineyard of Naboth. But the command, as it's written down in the Bible, 
is that if you own land, you are not supposed to sell that to other people other than your kin. You are, to, you are supposed to give it to your family. So Naboth said, King Ahab, I respect you, but I cannot disobey God. But then King Ahab was a big crybaby. He cried about it, and his wife, Jezebel, Queen Jezebel. You can name your dog Jezebel, but not your daughter, okay? Because Jezebel is such an evil woman. She hired some false witnesses to speak against Naboth, and then Naboth was stoned to death. And then after Naboth was killed, King Ahab took possession of the vineyard. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth has been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Just like that. So cold-blooded. With everything that he had, he had to take this one thing. That's why we have to be careful. As Christians, as Christians, and as, like we disclosed it earlier, right? We are considered rich. We cannot abuse our power because of our money to our other relatives who are in need of our help. We cannot use it to abuse other people, to manipulate them or to control them. I, uh, I know someone who works, she doesn't have papers, okay? She's from the Philippines, moved here for, I think, back in 2018. And she has, not, she has experienced many abuses by her employers because these employers know that she doesn't have any green card. She has no right to work here. Therefore, what they have been doing, the first employer would not give her any days off. So she left. And now, because I spoke with her two weeks ago, or three weeks ago, I think. According to her, she has not had a day off since 2019. She has been stuck in that house with the person that he's take, she, is, she has been taking care of. And her employer, which is the wife of the husband, has just been scaring her with everything. And she's only been, she's underpaid. No breaks, no days off, and underpaid. Imagine that's happening. If you're a Filipino, that's your, happening to your fellow countrymen. It still happens today. I wanted her out, but she, she's so concerned because she's a believer. She's more concerned about her patient rather than her own well-being. But see, again, Exodus 3.7, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. If we are abusing anybody and we think we're getting away with it for the meantime, we have to know and realize that God knows it. And God hears their cries. God hears their prayers. And we will be dealt with. Fifth point. 
If you're following the money and not following God, it makes you a hoarder. It makes you a hoarder. Your riches will rot and will be worth nothing. What's the point? Do not hoard wealth. These rich, rich, these rich people had so much stuff that it was rotting in storage. Now, we know that the clothes don't rot, right? And we know that the gold doesn't rot. But this is a hyperbole by, by James. What good are silos full of grain if when you go to get a bag full if it's spoiled or full of mold? What good are ten changes of clothes if when you, get, when you go to get something out of the closet, it's moth-eaten? What good is a bank vault full of jewels if you're afraid to wear them for fear of being robbed? You're thinking, oh, I'm not, that's not me. I'm not a hoarder. Okay, let's look. Self-storage industry snapshot. Here. The, this industry is $29 billion worth. There's about 51,206 facilities. This is our country. There are total rentable space, uh, 2.4 billion square feet for storages. Storage space, uh, space per person, 6.1 square feet. Percentage of households that rent a storage is 11.1%. And the average cost of a cell storage unit, $100 a month. Storage means we have a place for our things we don't use or won't use, or because we ran out of space in the house or our garage. That's what a storage is. And we don't want to let go of it. We don't want to let go. Oh, I'm still going to wear that. Oh, I might want that in the summer. Oh, sooner or later, I will lose weight and I'll be able to wear that again. So this is hard for me. This is a confession coming right here. I have many basketball shoes in my garage and the last time I played basketball was summer of last year and I only played two times last year I have many t-shirts clothes jackets and I still got more last Christmas I have two golf club sets and now the last time I played was 2021 with Mikey I have a storage facility. <laughs> Sometimes, again, the abundance makes us dull. Right? We have, we have so much. We have so many things. We have so much. We, we lost count. If we're following money instead of following God, we will be numb to these things. We're no longer seeing it. Hoarding, instead of sharing, is what? It's a sin. Hoarding, instead of sharing, is a sin. During the biblical time, you know, when people would, instead of selling their grain to the hungry people, some of them will hoard it. They will save it. They will not sell it right away in order for them to sell it for a lot more money later. That happened. That happened in one of the groceries here in, in town when, during 2020. Uh, the lockdown, they said their rice bags uh, are only available if you spend $100. <laughs> they, 
They were hoarding rice because they knew a lot of Filipinos live in this town. We eat rice with everything. They were hoarding it, and they increased the price. Following the money makes us live a hedonistic way. What's a hedonist? Pleasure is the goal of life. Pleasure is the goal of life. We should be careful not to live in luxury and self-indulgence. Luxury and self-indulgence. Because in verse 5, it says, Your life on earth was full of rich living. You pleased yourselves with everything you wanted. You made yourselves fat like an animal ready for the day of slaughter. Again, speaking about the evil rich people, about spending everything on themselves and, not, and then oppressing the workers, not paying the workers on time as agreed upon, and just making themselves fat and happy. Luke 16, 19 to 31, but we're only going to read 19 to 21. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. The rich man lived in splendor, while Lazarus, covered with sores, longed to be fed with the crumbs that was falling from the rich man's table. But after death, the roles were reversed. The rich man was in agony in the flames of hell, whereas Lazarus was comfortably in Abraham's bosom. The point of the story was not, it's not that all rich people will go to hell. It's not that, right? There are poor people in hell too. Because the Bible is clear. There are godly rich people and there are ungodly rich people. There are ungodly poor people and there are godly poor people. And everybody is saved through Jesus Christ alone. But the rich man's selfish indulgence and lack of compassion for the poor reflected his godless, selfish, selfish focus in life. James's indictment of fattening their hearts in a day of slaughter points to the eminence of the day of judgment. There is a day of judgment, church. Christians, we have to know that this life isn't it. And if we're seeing unfair things happening in front of our eyes, we have to know that sooner or later, God will judge it. I have a clause here for myself in my manuscript. I said, be careful talking to myself because my next example could hurt people, okay? But I'm not trying to hurt you. I'm setting an example here. Because I think we know them. After Imelda Marcos and her husband Ferdinand Marcos were deposed, that's in March 24 of 86, um, Newsweek ran an article about her life, Imelda. When they fled the country, she left behind a closet with 3,000 pairs of shoes. 3,000 pairs of shoes. Five shelves of unused Gucci handbags. Still stuffed with paper and the price tags attach. She had 500 bras, a trunk full of girdles, huge bottles of perfume, and vats of Christian Dior wrinkle cream. 
She was known to spend $12 million on jewelry in a single day in Switzerland. One U.S. representative gawked at the staff and said it was the worst case of conspicuous consumerism I've ever seen. How tragic. How tragic was that? I know, I, I know, I know a Christian who collects luxury cars as his hobby. And I, and I know that luxury is a relative term. And it's easy to judge the extravagant examples and justify ourselves. We need to examine ourselves prayerfully and often so that we don't fall into the, the, the judgment that James was talking about in condemning others. I believe that the Lord wants us to live simply and manage our resources in light of His eternal purposes. Question, now what? Now what? Okay. We spoke a lot about money, spoke about greed, evil stuff, but now what? If riches come from God, the question should be for every believer is, why am I not it? Why am I not getting rich? I answered it earlier. Maybe because money is your God to begin with. That God wants you to remove from his spot because God must be in the number one spot of your life. Maybe that's why you're not getting that. And maybe because when you get your money, the money that you've been praying for, you will not glorify him with your life. And then you say, no, 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 but, but how about, what if I make sure that I won't do that? Then the question is, the Bible verse says, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Are you being faithful with the financial blessings that God is giving you now, with the business that God is giving you now? Is your business running on, on biblical principles? Is your spending running on biblical principles? If your answer is no, that's why. Maybe you're not tithing, right? Because tithing, you're robbing God. Our, our lowest giving every year, um, I think, John, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think the lowest receipt uh, receiving happens on December. Because <laughs> everybody says, you know what, Lord, it's your birthday. I know this holiday is about you, but my son needs those Jordans today. So I'm going to skip giving you your tights. If I give you $1,000, my money, and I tell you, $100 of that you give to your friends. What are you going to say? You say, okay, I keep 900 You say, good. That's the same thing. That's the same thing with tithes. It's all God's. You're supposed to just give 10%. It's our responsibility. Money, wealth, riches that come from God is his, and we are his managers. We are his stewards. The tither, the tither, when I gave that example earlier, the tither is saying, I tithe, 
I'm faithfully tithing. Why am I not being rich? Why am I, why am I not getting rich? Because you're probably not faithful with the 90% that's left with you. You have to run your life in biblical principles. If you are becoming too greedy, you are still materialistic, you're going to get into debt. Simple. That is why there are unbelievers who are rich, because they know the principles of money. It will not change. If you're a farmer, you, you, sow what, you, you reap what you sow. That's what the Bible says, right? If you don't plant seeds, you will not get it, right? You're not going to reap anything. You don't plant, you don't sow, or you don't reap. Remember David? In 1 Chronicles 29, that was David's uh, prayer, and he was talking to the people. He was praying to God. He was saying, everything comes from you, God. David wanted to build the Lord a temple, but the Lord said, you cannot do it. Because, because of his sin against Uriah. His sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah. But David did not cry about it. David made sure the shepherd that no one wanted, the son that even the father forgot, that became the giant slayer, that became the mighty warrior, that became the king. That's how much he donated for the temple that he wasn't going to build. Some of us, we use our money to manipulate. If we don't get it our way, forget it. Then forget it. You know what? If you're not going to buy the building that I wanted you to buy, forget it. I'm out. If you're not going to include me in the decision-making, forget it. I'm out. David gave $20 billion worth in the construction of the temple. The temple that he could not build. But then this is what he had to say. But who am I and who are my people that we sh should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Humility avoids being prideful. Knowing where it all came from and whom it came from makes us follow God instead of following money. Jesus, again, 16.10. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. In the context, the very little thing that is mentioned here is money. Is money. It is a big thing to us, but to God, it is a little thing. That he uses us as the he, he uses that as a litmus test to prove whether you'll be faithful with more important things in the context that much refers to eternal souls. If you want God to entrust true spiritual riches to you, prove yourself by being faithful in managing the finances he has entrusted to you. First Corinthians four two. It is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. There was a businessman once had a, an angel visit him, promising to grant one request. The man asked for a copy of the stock market page one year in the future. 
as he was studying the numbers on the future exchange and gloating over how much he would make because of the knowledge of the future, his eyes glanced across the page. His picture was in the obituary column. Suddenly, his new wealth faded into insignificance in light of his own death. Wealth is a good tool if we are careful to use it as stewards for the Lord. But it is a dangerous trap if we adopt a worldly perspective towards it. I encourage you to examine often your stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted to you this new year. Look at Paul's words. In closing, the love of money ruins the person and leads to their damnation. The believer is being reminded by the Apostle James that God knows the oppression that is being done to them who are being oppressed by the rich. James scorns the evil rich people who are abusing the poor believers. This reminds us that God sees what is going on and there will come a time when God will make it right for us. It, is also, it also reminds us on how we are to treat the money that God has given to us, his followers. We are to fall in love with God, follow God, instead of being in love with money or following the money. Amen? As the music team make their way up here, thank you for your patience. That is our message this afternoon. As I close us in prayer, as they sing the closing song, if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, and, want, and you want to be finally be forgiven from all the sins that you've committed against Him, just by accepting the gift that He has given you by dying on the cross for your sins, not His, please come up so we can lead you into that prayer. If you have any decisions, you might, uh, if, if there is a decision that you want to make that because you've been coming here in this church for quite some time and the Lord has impressed it in your heart to become a part of it, please come up so we can recognize you. Or if you just need prayer, if you need prayer, if you are here at church and you need prayer, please come up so we can pray for you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your message. We thank you for your guidance. We ask, Lord God, that the message that we've heard be surrendered at your feet. Forgive us for all of our sins. Help us to be obedient to your voice. Help us to yield your guidance in your direction. Help us, Lord God, to no longer be worldly, but to become godly. Help those who are being oppressed, Lord God. Release them. Rescue them. Heal those who are sick. Restore broken relationships, Father. Help those who are lost. Bring back those who have wandered away. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, let's all rise for the closing.